Um, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Um, today, uh, we have a special guest, uh, a former NFL and a former college assistant and defense coordinator, um, Coach uh, Robert Trout. Coach, how are you doing? Doing great. It's uh, um, ready to talk some football. Oh, I, I appreciate you coming on, Coach. I, I really do. Um, Co- Coach has, has, I mean, I could, I could spend the next 15 minutes listening to your, your, your resume and kind of the success you've had throughout the years, uh, especially most recently at James Madison, East Carolina, your time in the NFL. Um, but speaking of the NFL, and, I, and we talked a little bit off screen, I, I want to get, before we start to get the actual defensive stuff, I, I did want to ask you, because you, you did work, obviously, f- uh, for a couple NFL franchises, but I, I want to hit, obviously, because I am based in Ohio, uh, about the Cleveland Browns and kind of your experience there and kind of uh, working with Romeo Cornell and kind of what you learned from your time during those th- three three years and ch- three years almost four years and change um, at the Cleveland Browns. Well, Romeo and I went way back. We worked together at uh, the Giants and the Patriots. Um, you know, he was working with Bill Parcells. I've worked with Bill Parcells twice. He gave me my first job at Air Force, um, and then we basically shared an office, a very small office, and got to know each other really well. So when he got the Cleveland job, he called me up. I was down in Louisiana, um, and you know it was a good experience. You know, it, it, we I think we were on the right track. We we were ten and six in two thousand seven. Um, somehow missed the playoffs, which is impossible when you win 10 games. Um, the next year we, we lost, uh, all three quarterbacks and, and, uh, I tell people, we played the quarterback in the last game. I didn't know what his name was. We just picked him up off the street that week, <laughs> um, they decided to make a change. And I, I think if they'd have stayed with us a little longer, um, I, I really, Love the people of Cleveland. I, I hope that uh, they have success. Um, I think both teams there, it'd be nice if they just get in the Super Bowl one time. I think the Bengals and the Browns, they deserve, those fans are great. And hopefully things have, have turned around for them. Now, I, I want to kind of get into it a little bit. Cause, I mean, there, there's about 8,000 ways and 8,000 questions I could ask you. I first want to hit on your time at James Madison. Um, obviously, you won a national title there, and you had you had a lot of success. Um, and your defense, I mean, that you coordinated there was was by if you just look at a statistical measure, um, probably the best or one of the best in the country, depending on what category you look at. And, and, and where it was really successful, especially especially in a time and day now where it's really difficult to be successful. Uh, turn uh, pass defense and turnovers. Do you want to kind of talk about how you developed that the ability to be so successful defending the pass and forcing turnovers? Well, we were fortunate at uh, James Madison when we went there. They had a really great offense, and the defense has sort of struggled. And uh, but we felt like they had a foundation there. But I had a great we had a great staff. Uh, the linebacker coach came from Richmond with, that, with me. We got um, Coach Hanson, who has coached for a long time. He was our D-line coach. 
uh, we had a second a corner coach that uh, had had some experience with Coach Houston, and, and uh, so we had a good foundation. And and basically, we it was funny. I, I told the safeties, I said, you know, this is our fundamentals. This is our basic defense. This is what we're going to do. And after the first game, one of them said, what are we changing this week? And I said, we're not changing anything. We're going to do the same thing this week, next week, the next week. So we wanted to build a foundation of, of good defense. And, and uh, uh, that's where it started. And we got better each week. And I think once we beat, uh, uh, we actually played Villanova um, and actually won the game on defense uh, later in the year. And, uh, that turned everything, and then we, that started the the run of really, really good defense. And we went in the playoffs, played really well in 2016. Uh, we were able to beat uh, North Dakota State up there, held to 17 points, um, won the national championship, went the next year, won 14 straight games, um, playing really good defense. And, and uh, uh, I think it just started with uh, to build a foundation um, the kids started believing in us. We had kids, and, and that's what I've told people. Our defense at JMU love to play football. And, you know, as coaches, we all want kids that love football, and, and I think we had it there, and you could tell that they love to play football and they love to win football games. And, and that was a huge foundation for us. Okay, and, and then the, – um, good. Well, one thing that, that, that I've always believed in, we tried to teach teach football. I talk about the football Bible, about, you know, what offenses are trying to do. And my background, we, we taught about formation awareness and per- personnel awareness and situation awareness so the kids could become pretty smart, you know, smart football players. And we talked about that all the time. So I think if you asked any of our players through that era, they, you know, they would tell you the things that cause you to win and the things that cause you to lose. And obviously turnovers were a huge thing. And, uh, in, uh, you know, the 2017 year we had 31 interceptions. So that was pretty remarkable that year. It became a contest. I mean, they, they took a lot of pride. Now, did, did, would you, I mean, obviously and it, and it did help to win a lot of games. Obviously, like keeping it simple helps, and and I have some. I mean, I I think I think that's moniker's true at cross football is that we try to overcomplicate everything, just by nature of us being coaches. Is there anything outside of simplicity that helped? Is, do you is a turnover circuit? Is it focusing on the formation personnel situation where so they know what's coming? What what do you think attributes to that high level of turnovers besides just the simplicity? How do you think? How, from a preparation standpoint, do you think you prepared them? Well, as a secondary coach, I, and I think every coach needs to look that uh, defensive players do not catch enough footballs. They do not work on their throw uh, catching skills, ball skills well enough. Uh, I remember at uh, the combine one time, I interviewed a kid and. I've got his questionnaire, and I said, it says here you played quarterback. Can you throw? And he said, no. I said, it says here you played wide receiver. Can you catch? He said, no. And I said, is that why you're DB? He said, yes. Well, you know, I don't I don't want a DB that can't, can't catch. And, and uh, um, So, you know, every time I've recruited, I've always asked DBs, what all have you played? 
and I want a DB that can that has ball skills. I would like a DB, every DB that I would like would I would think could go over there and play wide receiver, okay, and have that mentality. And I'll tell you a little story that happened that I learned this when I was at Arkansas. I had a safety that we're in practice and they throw a ball and he takes about three steps and pulls up. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I knew I couldn't catch it. Well, the odd thing is he was the fastest guy in the state of Arkansas. He was the hundred meter champ. We had another receiver on the offensive side that ran a four, seven downhill. There wasn't a ball he never thought he could catch. I mean, he, he, he could catch anything. And I'm looking, I've got a guy, the fastest guy in the state of Arkansas after three steps as he can go catch it. So I've learned through coaching, sometimes you just got to talk to him. So I said, what are all positions that you play? And he said, tailback and safety, my whole career. I said, the only pass you've ever caught is a tall sweep, isn't it? He said, yes. <laughs> so he never had that. He never had that mentality to go catch a football. And uh, that taught me something right there. You better find DBs that have a mentality to go catch a football. Because I think defensively, we ask them to catch tougher catches. You don't know it's a pass. You know, a lot of times you turn around, there's the ball. And then one thing that we really worked hard on were deep balls. You know, we don't, I, I think most defenses don't spend enough time catching deep balls. We had a drill every week where we caught deep balls and, uh, and it paid off for us in the uh, in the 217 year because my post safety led the country in defense. The two safeties would argue about who's going to play in the post because they knew they could get an interception. And, uh, I think we had the top three guys with interceptions that year. And they'd come off the field and say, damn it, we, you changed the defense where I wasn't the post safety and I didn't get the interception. But, you know, it, it built that up. But we tried to work on their skills. One thing I used to tell coaches, I said, you know, every year a player will come up and say, what do I need to work on in the offseason? And I would always tell them your, your uh, ball skills. You've got to learn to catch balls. Um, you know, I've been around enough offenses where, you know, one year we, I looked over there and every receiver had his own ball. And I've got our bag and they were the old kicking balls. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute now. <laughs> You want me to catch interceptions, and these balls are the shit, crappiest balls I've ever seen. So I did get us new balls that year. And uh, but I think it's just a mentality and emphasis that, you know, catching footballs, catching interceptions is important. It wins games, and that's why it's important. And then every time we had interception, when we watched tape, we would explain why this happened and give the uh, – you know, D-line the credit of because you got your hand in this guy's face, that's why we intercepted the ball. So we always talked about the team concept of why this happened. So I think the whole team, you know, took pride in that, uh, uh, you know, me getting the, my hand in his face caused that interception or that pressure. And uh, the players, I think, felt that and anytime – they were anytime there was an interview, you could see that the players gave everybody else credit. So, but learning how to catch and, and uh, working on your ball skills, um, and then understanding the importance of turnovers, um, I think helped in, in in our situation. And we had some pretty good players, and and you cannot. Uh, it's funny every time 
I've coached, I've tried to be really good friends with the D-line coaches. And I used to tell my DBs, I said, you need to go give your extra food to the D-line because they'll make your job a lot easier. And uh, we were able to put pressure with uh, mainly a four-man pressure and, uh, you know, let us play coverage and and, uh, made a big difference for us. Now, I kind of want to move on. Two of those guys. Good, Good, Coach. Good. Two of the guys in that secondary are playing the NFL right now, too. We had some good players. <laughs> that, that helps, Coach. That helps a lot. Um, the, the, the next spot I want to go to is, is yeah. you obviously had a lot, a lot of great experiences and places you could develop a defense. Where do you, When you get to a new place and you're installing your new your defense, where do you start? Like from where, 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 What does the installation process look like? What is that building – a defense look like from place to place when you go to places? Well, we do give them a playbook. I think paper's okay. I like paper because uh, I, I give an example. I went and visited a pro team. They had the uh, laptops and the smart players also had a notepad to make notes on. You know, it's hard to take notes. And I think, guys that really want to learn. So we talk about, you got to learn our language. So the first thing we usually do when we go in there is uh, you got to learn our language, learn how our coaching staff talks. Uh, We try to build the trust. Um, I think trust is so important as a coach because you've got to earn their trust. It's not a given. Uh, And I think you do that by uh, being a good teacher. So we went in there and we would have a, a plan and a, uh, I, I'd have a menu of all our defenses that we had decided we we're going to run that year. I did an installation. Uh, usually we started with zone defenses, basic fronts, uh, and then worked on to our, our match coverages and our man coverages. I usually found that, and we were primarily a match coverage team and a, and a man free team i found if you don't teach zone first it, it's it it's more difficult um to teach it later because there, there's two concepts whether you're a zone spot team or a match team and they're they're opposite um, techniques but if you can do both as i tell people i said you know all the all the routes that hurt matchup coverages, zone helps to win it. And the routes that hurt zone coverage, the matchups help. So we would always try to teach zone first. Uh, pretty simple to begin with base front, one coverage. I always found, you know, we may go into Pascal those first couple of days and call one coverage uh, because you're trying to teach it. You've got different formations, you know, especially if you're going against the offense and they get to run whatever they want to. I just wanted to teach that offense for the day. So really my my installation might be the first two practices would be three deep. The next two would be match. Uh, we And even in the three deep, we might put our zone pressure in. But everything would be three deep that day. Then the Next day might be all match coverage for two two practices. Uh, and try to teach it that way. Really 
build a foundation. So by the end of the week, everybody's got a good dose of zone or match or, or man. Okay. But I wasn't scared to, you know, if we put two coverages in that day, I would just alternate them in pass scale. I just wanted uh, reps. Um, despite what offensive coaches think, you know, when you do three three coverages in a row, and I never understood how an offense coach said I was, uh, you know, scripting for success. <laughs> but it, it never failed. They all said, well, you're scripting for success. I said, I did one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. I said, I don't, I don't know why you think that. <laughs> but I think you got to build that fundamental. Don't be afraid to uh, call those defense. Put them in those situations, even though some days it, that was not the best defense. And then we would take the approach that I would show them on tape that, you know, this is cover three today. There's some things it's not good against. But as a defensive coordinator, I can't call the perfect defense every time. You know, sometimes you're going to have to play cover three versus four verticals. So we need to learn how to do all that stuff. So we really tried to build that foundation and, and uh, um, get them a lot of reps and that thing and then just move on from there um, and, and teach them football as we're going. You know, what what uh, is the strength of the defense? What's the weakness of the defense? You know, in zone defense, I used to always try to teach. We're, tr we're telling the quarterback where to throw the ball. I always want to take the approaches. You know, we're, we're telling the quarterback what to do because, you know, you're an offensive coordinator, right? Yes, sir. So I've been around enough offensive coordinators to know that you guys got all the answers. Um, I understand that. It's okay. <laughs> but, you know, I try to explain to them, you know, that quarterback, if we play zone coverage right, we're telling them where to throw the ball. Mm -hmm. So that we want to be in control. We want, I wanted defensive players to think we're in control of the situation. Okay. You know, when a guy runs a zone read, we wanted to option the quarterback. We're optioning him. You know, we're cutting his choices down. Yeah. Uh, not that he's optioning us. So we tried to take that kind of approach. But uh, we would we would build our install uh, one step at a time. So about about after seven or eight practices, we, we would have our base stuff in. Uh, um, and I'll, I'll kind of go to the, the next little part is – when when you're, I mean, every every coach takes a little different approach to preparing each week. What does that process for you to prepare for an opponent every week kind of look like, and how's that kind of evolved over your forty plus years as a coach? Well, when I first started, we we used to pad the games, the famous pads. Um, now it's become, you know, the, the week was started about uh, breaking down the the opponent. I've been become pretty anal with the data. We want to try to get the data right. The beauty of these new video systems is you can change it. I remember when I was in college and I was breaking down tape as a GA. You know, once Sunday came along, you 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 printed the reports and they weren't very good data in there. So we try to get the right data down. We try. What I would tell the, the defensive coaches, and we would split up our 
our responsibility to run game, the pass game. I sort of took the approach of making sure all the data was correct, the, the, the formations, the personnel, and all we were really trying to do was get a picture of the offense. You know, what, what is this offense? We want a picture of this offense. What are they trying to do? And we always took the approach that everything an offense does has a reason. So that, you know, when you throw in personnel and you throw in formations, uh, you start seeing why is this offense doing this certain thing? And, and then we had to have answers for what that offense or that picture is trying to do. And, you know, and then the offensive guys would start throwing in tempo and, and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, you had tempo teams. You, did, you had teams that weren't tempo. You had teams that were 11 personnel. You had teams that were 21 personnel, 10 personnel, you know, different type things. But we were trying to quickly learn what is the picture of this, this offense? What are they trying to do? And then are there things that would help us, uh, you know, basically personnel – did help us a lot of times breaking down an offense. You know, they like to do this in 10 personnel. They like to do this in 11 personnel um, so that we have answers and we can build our defense for that week. Yeah. But, you know, you guys all cheat because, you know, your 11 personnel might look like 20, uh, <laughs> 20 personnel or all this other stuff y'all did. But, you know, the players need to learn that. And, and one thing that, that we eventually got to was – for those teams that did the different looks in the personnel groups, listen, whatever they line up in, that's the offense they're in. So we talked about personnel, and then we started talking about offenses. So, you know, you can be a, a 12 personnel team and put that one guy in the backfield, and you're really a 21 offense. Yeah. Or you're a 12 offense. And, and I think the players need to understand. If I'm a linebacker and there's two guys in the backfield, there's they're a 21 offense, and you need to understand what that is. It sort of goes back to this trust, too. I, I was at a school one time, and we were there two years, and finally D-Lyman said, Coach, what's this 21 mean? And every all the kids started laughing. And uh, I said, you know, at least you finally asked what 21 personnel meant. You know, and, and so – we tried to get a picture of what the offense does, um, understanding their personnel, understanding their formations, understanding certain situations, what y'all like to do. That football Bible was uh, was interesting because, you know, what you do after a turnover, what you do when you're backed up, there's certain principles that most offenses follow. Uh, we teach it, and it was it never failed to play. Would come up to me after watching a game on Saturday and Sunday. Said, "Coach, you're pretty smart. They did exactly what you said." <laughs> and uh, uh, I said, "Well," it, and they start believing what you're saying yeah. when when, that, when those things happen. So uh, it goes back to being a smart football team. If you got a smart football team, guys will talk. I remember uh, one of the playoff games at JMU. We had a certain way we we're going to play the bunch route. Uh, they motioned to it, surprised us. We tackled a guy for about a 15-yard gain, stopped him. The kids came off. They had the adjustment before I could even tell them. You know, that, that's a mark of a pretty good defense. Yeah. The DBs came off. They knew exactly what we needed to go to. So, But back to your answer, it's really just try to get a picture of the offense, 
what's, what is the offense trying to do? Um, and then match our defenses to that and get a feel for it. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's fantastic, Coach. Um, and then I, I, I want to go back to DB play real quick before we get to some of this other uh, miscellaneous stuff. Um, like I said, obviously, I mean, you've coached some really good DBs over the years, both in the league and in college. Um, and obviously, you, we've already talked a little about how, how important ball skills and ball drills are. Um, what what else, what else? What besides your um, ball drills? What what are your other like daily? I have to get this done to develop my guys. And how much does that change? How much actually? Really, how much does that change over the years? Well, I've always felt that change of direction is more important than anything in, as a DB. Change of direction and burst. Uh, yeah, I like really fast guys, but we've all coached track guys. Um, football's not track. Um, so my best DBs have been really good athletes that can change directions and burst. Uh, you know, most of them got pretty good 40 times, but the best ones had the ability to change directions, burst, and then go make a play. Some guys can make plays. Some guys can't make plays. If you can catch and you can turn yourself in that receiver, you can go make a play on the ball. Uh, you know, I've seen DBs that don't ever look at, even try to make a play on the ball because they know they can't catch, so they just run into the guy every time. Um, I had a kid at, well, I had a player at New England when I was there named Maurice Hurst, and he taught me the value of quick hands, almost like a boxer. He, he had this knack of he could knock balls out. Um. So the ability to run, the ability to change directions and burst, I think, are, are huge as a DB. Uh, football smarts, I can't, I can't tell you how important that is. Uh, I've coached at Duke. I've coached at Air Force. Um, where we had really smart people. The smartest football player I had was at Monroe, Louisiana. He had a 2-2 in college, but he was super football smart. And now he's the secondary coach of the Redskins. Um, I've had players at Duke and Air Force that are super smart that they're not very good players, but they're engineers and they fly airplanes. I had one guy that we had one guy at Air Force. He used to forget the coverage all, I mean, the defense all the time. He flew F 16s. Every time I saw an F 16, I got a little worried because <laughs> I always remembered he couldn't remember the defense. <laughs> Um, but I think football smarts. I was I was uh, lucky enough to coach uh, USA football in, in the World Championship in Kuwait. So we took a guy, a, a group of players, in one week went to Kuwait. And the value of the guys that were football smart was—I I can't tell you how lucky we were in that situation. We had a few guys that you could tell them what to do, and they could do it had one safety, I had to have play another guy with him because he just wasn't that football smart. So they can run, they can catch, they can change directions, they can burst. They're smart football players. The footwork drills I did were basically game footwork. Um, I didn't always back. I tried to watch the tape and say, this is what happens in the game. That's what we want to practice. 
I see a lot of DBs that they spend all this time backpedaling. And then when I watch the game, they're never in a backpedal. They used to drive me crazy. So if, if you're going to bail and do all those things and you never backpedal, then don't spend 90% of your time teaching backpedal. Um, so figure out what kind of defense you're going to be, what kind of movements you're going to do and practice those kind of movements. And then the last few years, I, I started doing a lot of my footwork drills paired up. Um, and we actually just, we, we did everything as a pair so that we would run down the field and, and uh, we would backpedal with the guy running down the field. We would work on leverage. We'd work on cushion. We'd work on breaking on there. And uh, um, because I, I always said there are two types of keys when you're doing footwork drill. It's either the coach, which I would do a lot of times, or then we progressed to where you had a partner and you used your partner's key, which is basically man coverage. So you read his, when he slowed down or he broke, you broke, and then we always tried to throw a ball in those situations. Uh, just to remind them that, you know, we're playing football. Um, I was not one of those with a bunch of different drills. You know, there's a hundred different DB drills. They all look nice, but I felt about half of them didn't really relate to the game. Um, it's not a drill. You know, we're not drilling just to do drills and it looks good. I wanted to drill to get better at the skills that we were doing and uh, always tried to have a ball involved. Uh, even if it was just tossing it to them at the end of the drill, just to make them continually think, you know, there's a ball I'm trying to work on it on uh, turnovers or, you know, my job is to catch the football. Now, and you know, if we get into it, I, I, I can get you some, I can show you some of the drills or something or get at some point later that, that I, that I've gotten to, but, uh, started doing most of them by, uh, partners and, and that worked out great. Now I, I want, I want to just jump around here a little bit. First thing I want to ask you, I mean, you know, I mean, you've hit on a lot of really good points so far, but is there any particular advice you have for, um, any young defensive coordinators, either ones that just got their first time job or have kind of just are a couple years into this that you've kind of learned or that you could give from 40 plus years of experience? I think as a defensive coordinator, the first thing you got to come to grips with is the battle between how much defense and how good you want to be. Um, you've, you've got to decide how good you want to be at a certain defense. Uh, I think the biggest mistake young coordinators make is they have too much defense. I think it's a mark of a good coordinator thing say, no, we can't do that yet. I've had defenses that can do a lot and I've had defenses that can't do it. And I think the mark of any good coach is recognizing whether it's scheme or a player. You know, some players just can't do it. And at some point you got to realize that we all think we're the greatest coach in the world, but I had one at New England and he fell down all the time and I couldn't teach him not to fall down. Um, and I finally realized this guy's going to fall and I can't teach him. And, uh, uh, but I think a young coordinator's got to understand is, do I want to be good at something 
and uh, it sometimes it's frustrating because you there's there's a lot you want to do, but if you can't handle it as a team, you've got to be smart enough to realize we can't do that yet, or, or we might not be able to do that, and uh, try to find a package that you've got enough weapons, and hopefully build that defense where you can do more, and if you can't. Quit worrying about it and, and, and play with what you got. Now, do you uh, – I, I, this like that. It's a constant struggle. You know, but one of the things I see young guys do is they, they, they have way too much stuff. Um, I, like I, I talked to a pro guy the other day. First thing he learned was he had like 20 coverages, 20 defenses on the first down. And finally one of the older coaches said, you know, we don't have that many plays on first day. <laughs> you need to cut it down to about five or six balls. Uh, speaking of coverages, this is where I'll jump next. Is do you, do you have a it, it, like a personal preference on coverage or, or something that you have found to be extremely successful to your career that you always go back to coverage wise? Well. I've been a robber or match coverage guy for a long time um, and had a lot of success with it. Um, I still call it a robber defense. Um, and that's basically been our base. Zone has been the change up off of it. And then man free is, is in the last 15 or 20 years has, has become more and more important. Um, but our base has always been a robber type defense. Now, now when you say and a pretty aggressive robber, when, when you say robber, what do you specifically mean? Cause I, there, I think there's depending on who you talk to, there's a slight difference in terminology and what they call robber coverage. So by your definition, what do you define as robber? Well, we're, we're, we're reading routes. Okay. So that, that middle safety is able to read number two, and if number two is not a threat, go help on one or wherever you want him to go to. Um, it puts pressure on the – we always teach it like it's a 2D coverage. You okay. corners are really deep half players. Okay. We play with invert guys, uh, the bandit or the rover, whatever you want to call it. You know, we, we're playing an invert for the run. We're playing a heavy safety in the middle. We're playing two corners that cannot, you know. Well, one thing that I have started doing over the years is we talk about mission in life. So we talk about the players. Your mission in life, <laughs> if you're a robber corner, is don't get beat by the vertical or the post. Okay. If you go brain dead, don't get beat deep. Understand we can help you short. So that's one thing that we've we've done over the years. Is when we're teaching defenses, uh, is to explain to the player this is your mission in life on this defense. If you go brain dead, you can't do this. For example, if you can, if you're responsible for a gap, your mission in life is to control that gap. Mm -hmm. um, whether you're a front guy or a linebacker or a DB, if you're covering one on one, your mission in life is don't let that guy catch you. If you're a deep player, don't let him get behind you. So we try to make it for the players that, hey, listen, it's not that hard. You know, your mission is you can give up this. We can help you with some of these other routes. Um, so we try to teach it that way. But Robert's been 
the coverage I've used the most. Man free has become a, depending on the, the team, we were pretty good at JMU and man free. You know, that that's a great defense against RPOs. Um, when we played Sam Houston that year, uh, we were fortunate enough to beat them pretty good, but we were able to play man free against them. And uh, uh, they couldn't run the ball and we could cover them. But I guess over the years, it's become a, a match type or a Robert type coverage, man free, some zone. Um, and then a lot of my package is are we rushing three people, four people, five people, or six people? Yeah. And disguise is so important these days. You know, a lot of the rules don't really help us, but one thing we can control is pre snap reads. My. I've always taken, you know, I've stood behind offenses before. And sometimes I'm like, how the hell does that quarterback see all this stuff y'all talk about? Because to me, it's not easy. You know, yeah. when I stand back there behind the quarterback, you know, when you guys talk on the board, it sounds so easy. But when, I, when I'm back there and <laughs> I'm looking with, like that quarterback, I'm like, how the heck does he see all that stuff? Yeah. So I've always taken the approach, let's control the pre-snap and make him prove that he's real good. Make him make decisions. Make the receivers make decisions. Um, you know, offensively, your RPOs and stuff, you're, you're basically trying to put a defensive player in a no-win situation. Well, yeah. You know, we're trying to put the, off, the quarterback in a no-win situation. So the beauty of the game is we play with human beings. So on paper, when that back's supposed to block somebody, um, I think the NFL found it that that back that was supposed to block Lawrence Taylor <laughs> is never going to happen. And uh, but on paper, you know, they had Lawrence Taylor blocked every time. Um, so they they had to come up with schemes to get two or three people there to block. Yeah. But the beauty of of the game is you're going to drop a pass. Um, you're going to miss a block. It still comes down in sports who makes the fewest mistakes. You know, if we don't miss tackles, if we can get people down, if we can get the numbers right, numbers are so important. Offensively, you're trying to get more numbers than we do. Uh, we're trying to match those numbers, and then you just hope that you make those tackles. Yeah. Now, do it, I, I, I got two more questions for you. Um, what is there an offense that you had a lot of success with I'll stopping over your 45 years. And why do you think that is? It's funny that with that Robert defense, we, we, we played pretty good run defense. You know, the 21 personnel that uh, I started playing more man free because of 12 personnel. Uh, Northwestern did a great job at it. I used to say, you know, that, that 12 personnel was like, uh, they could get more people at the point of attack than we could. If you're not careful, it forces you to adjust and stuff. Um, you know, I think that's one thing the offenses have, are, are really good at these days is now they got double plays, you know, they run a play this way, but actually the quarterback's coming back and all that stuff. It makes you more disciplined and everything. Um, if I could find a team that would just line up my backfield, I would love it because I think I'd be, beat your ass pretty good. Um, but people don't do that anymore. Um, I was at Air Force and with Ken Hatfield when he put the option in for the academies. Okay. So the value of the option 
you know, people, when he, when he, he told us we're going to run the wishbone, we thought he was nuts, but he had actually talked to Woody Hayes and some people and came in and told us, most people don't understand it, it was Ken Hatfield put in the option, not Fisher, not Fisher to bury. And he said, we got to do something different and better than other people. And obviously that's, that's why, uh, the academies aren't going to get big linemen. Um, so you hated to play people hated to play us. Um, the option teams, you know, now you, you've got all the spreads and stuff. Like I said, we, we played the RPOs with Sam Houston and, you know, that guy's not North Carolina. Um, I don't know if there's one defense, you know, things change at one time. The tempo really bothered everybody, but I think defenses have sort of caught up with the tempo. Um, I remember when I was at Arkansas, when people went empty, we just checked to three, you know, okay, we're checking three. And then people started figuring out to do more and cover through an empty. So you had to be able to do more. So, I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but over the years, I think you just got better at, at handling what offenses did. And, and um, there was always, you always lagged behind a little bit. You know, it took a while to get used to tempo. It took a while to get used to empty. Um, it sort of came down if your players were better than theirs, that helped a lot. Well, it does, coach. But, uh, yeah, you know. Um, but, you know, I, that's the beauty I've, think of high school sports and college sports, there's such a variety of, of offenses and defenses. I didn't feel that way in the NFL as much. You know, your numbers, it, it's amazing. We used to get on Sunday morning, there'd be sometimes, you know, this team's only got three wide receivers for the game eligible or, yeah. or active. And uh, you didn't see a lot of 10 personnel in the NFL because they didn't have enough receivers. You know, you look at a, that roster, so I didn't feel there was nearly the variety of what you got in college football or high school football. Um, so you better have a package that can handle that kind of stuff. Too. Yeah. But I think with the spread and all those things, it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where you can handle that if yeah. you've uh, seen it enough. Till y'all come up with something different. <laughs> And then, and the last thing I got for you, because I'm always curious about this, when I talk to coaches who, who who've done this for 30, 40 years, is, is do you have a moment when you look back at everything you've done? And it might be several moments that you're just just most proud of over over the course of your 35, 40 plus year career. Well, here's what I've tried to tell young coaches. And it's part of this profession. I look back over when we were, you know, we'd won 28 games in a row. And I look back at that and I'm thinking, well, it didn't hit me because we were just trying to win the next game. So as a coach, I think when I look back at my career and, and think about it is we didn't have time to really enjoy at the moment what we were doing as I look back and I, I can think back that, damn, we were pretty good. But at the moment, you're just trying to win the next game. And uh, uh, I think it's one of the problems that we have as coaches that you got to sometimes just look back and enjoy the ride. 
uh, we don't do that enough because, you know, you've got that schedule, you know, you're going to play that next week. You've got so much work to do. You're just trying to win the next game. But uh, I tell people one thing that if there's one thing good about Facebook, it's reconnecting me with a lot of my ex-players. Good. The Air Force guys are now generals and, and airline pilots and fathers and grandfathers. You know, I've reconnected with a bunch of those guys all through the years. You see how they've grown up and um, been very successful. Uh, I think you take that as a coach that, you know, you did touch a lot of lives. Um, it's interesting that some of the feedback you get, they'll talk about, you know, I had one player, he said, coach, you don't remember it, but you called me out of curfew at a bowl game. You let me go when I got to play. And I've always appreciated that. And uh, I'd forgot all about it, you know, so you don't remember all that stuff. But I think that's one of the nice things about the coaching profession. We do touch a lot of lives, even when we don't realize it. Um, and I think that's the thing that we remember. I think back of some of the, the teams that I've been a part of. That's one not, That's one of the toughest things when I'm not coaching this last year was I, it's the first time in 43 years I, I wasn't part of a team. I've been on some great teams. I've been on some really bad teams. But, you know, every team was special. And you had uh, – you were fighting with those guys, and uh, it meant a lot. Um, but you look back at – at Air Force, you know, we we're just trying to win a game. But then when I look back, I'm like, crap, we were pretty good. You know, I was pretty good at uh, Arkansas. When I was at Clemson, we led the country in defense. One of the, one of the uh, that was a unique team because we had LeVon Kirkland and Chester McLaughlin. And about six or seven of those guys played in the NFL. That, that was a pretty good defense. Um, when, when I was at GMU, when – we finished the regular season in 217. I think we were number one in about six categories. And uh, I printed off the stats after the regular season, handed it out to all the players. And I said, you guys better keep this because you'll never see this again. You know, what we've been able to do in the regular season. That's one of the problems that, that, that I have with college football was when I was at Clemson, we didn't, we won the bowl game like 30 to nothing, but they stopped the stats of the regular season. Now they start, they don't stop the stats till the end of the season. Yeah. So it's skewed. It's not it, what you did in the regular season. A lot of pick teams, you know, what you did in the playoffs, we had five more games in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so it makes a difference. Okay. Well, it's sort of strange how they've done it. Oh yeah. It, oh yeah. It's it's all about a, a variety of reasons, there, Coach. It. Uh, but I think to answer your question, yeah, I look back and you know, my wife has been very involved in with the players. And, um, they all call and ask about Mama Trot. And, uh, <laughs> when I was in college, we always the. Uh, I would always meet with the, the safeties on, on Thursdays and we used to bring a Buffalo dip or something. They still talk about it. And, uh, uh when I left Jamie, one of my safeties says, well, I hate to see you go, but can we have the Buffalo dip recipe? <laughs> Make sure you And, uh, in fact, he told me when they got the new coach, the, the player said, Oh, by the way, we meet on Thursday nights and you got to bring Buffalo dip. So where you bringing food? So, 
<laughs> and you know, when you have a career, you look back and the teams that you're on, they're all pretty special. And but it's really the players that you affected. And, and uh, there's there's a bond there, as you know. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's one of the great things about being a coach. You know, I tell people, people outside of coaching have a hard time figuring out what we do and uh, why we work so much and, you know, why we meet all the time and why our hours are so crazy. And I try to explain to them, you know, that game's coming at 12 o'clock that Saturday or, you know, 1 o'clock on that Sunday. And there's certain things we have to do, and uh, that's not going to change. And I said my job is interesting because I'm a teacher, I'm a gamer, I'm a counselor, I'm a father, Sometimes I'm a prison guard <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, I'm a salesman. So, you know, we, a coach wears a lot of hats. Um, you know, in college, you had to sort of be halfway dressed good. When I was in pro football, they didn't care how you came to work, you know, cause when I was, you never saw the public and uh, you could wear sweats all day or whatever you wanted to, you know, you were just there to coach. But, um, it's a good, it's been a great life and, and I think coaching is pretty special. And like I, I told you before we went on that this pandemic is, it, I think is even emphasize what coaches have done. Uh, I don't know what these kids would have done without coaches. And, uh, uh, it's been remarkable that I know down here they're playing in the spring, a lot of places still played in the fall. Uh, I think coaches have been problem solvers uh, and been a godsend in, during this pandemic. Well, Coach, I, I think that is um, how I wore this. The best way to end that. What else you think of? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think there's a better way to end that. So, um, Coach, this was extremely fun. Um, I, I, I truly mean that. That this was a great time, um, coaches. Um, coaches contact information will be below uh, make sure you check out our sponsors and affiliates below um, if there's any point you want to listen to back of this again the, the, the video and the audio tags are below so you can click on those and go back to that specific spot as usual um, obviously like and share the video so more people can um, see it and listen to coach here and, and kind of hear what he's been through and what, what he's done and obviously subscribe to the channel and the podcast and all that lovely jazz. But I, I don't have any smart words to, to follow up with that end. So uh, that was another episode of the uh, Gap Down Backer podcast.